We're going to see in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. A warning. And a, it's a scary warning. And it's a warning that we need to take very seriously. <clears throat> but before we get to that, how many of how many of you have like alerts or alarms or reminders? You know, do you have like a you know a a, a monthly calendar, a daily calendar? Uh, you know, that remind you of things. Post its sticky notes, right, all over the house. Reminding you of all kinds of different things. Take out the trash, the dogs, the something going out next week. Um, three by five note cards. These computers and our phones now, and our phones have these awesome apps that have tasks, and you know they ping you, they remind you, they beep at you. Uh, it's in your back pocket everywhere you go. They remind you. Or if you're really high tech, which I'm sure most of you have, this system that's well in place you tell somebody else to remind you, right? And it's their responsibility, and if you forget, then, then of course, it's their fault. Well, do you realize that, that God's Word is, is a reminder for us? God gave us this, this great ping to remind us over and over again about the daily things that we need for, for life. Um, one of the amazing things about the scripture is that it tells you things about you that nobody else knows, right? You ever read the word and, and you feel like, or, or maybe you're list, even listening to a sermon, you're like, is this guy just talking to me? Because um, the Bible is revealing things of, of, of your nature and your heart and your character and your soul that, that God has known for centuries. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, we're actually going to kind of run to get to, to uh, a section near, near, near the end of it. But in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, it says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offered continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, God institutes here this, this reminder. It's, it's a reminder that, you know, listen, through the, the old sacrificial system, through, through the priests, there would be forgiveness and atonement for sin, right? But this is just a, a reminder, and how so we see in these first four verses. Well, we see that the Old Testament system was, it was just a shadow, it, it could, and, and look at this language, it could never make perfect. Not sometimes or occasionally, never. Or how about this, verse 4, it is impossible. 
It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So you ask, well, then what was the purpose? The purpose was symbolic, and the purpose now for us then becomes a reminder. A reminder of how the process of, of substitutionary atonement, which we looked at last year, how that takes place. Now, here, here's the thing I want you to really think about for a second. The most sacred, holy institution in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, had no power. Now, now, now think about that. It was a shadow. It could never make perfect. It was impossible to take away sins. The most sacred religious tradition in the Old Testament had no power. So what do you think about that? Or the question should be, well then, what does? Well then, what does have power? Well, the power comes from, from Jesus, not from bulls and goats. For sanctification, okay, it works this way. If you keep on sinning without restraint, well then, atonement that doesn't stick, right? Doesn't remain. Why? Because you have, as we read earlier, you have insulted. You didn't insult a bull. You didn't insult a lamb. You didn't insult the priest, the altar. You insulted your Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Um, because of your disobedience. And so today we're going to take a look at why one would face the vengeance of God in three ways. In three ways we see this one. The, the Lord will judge you for insulting the Savior. The Lord will repay you and the Lord will bring terror upon you. Well, we need to kind of take a deep breath and and uh, gather ourselves and take a look at what Hebrews 10 is, is actually building up to. There, there's a case now in, in Hebrews chapter 10 that is that is being built. This case, though, takes a turn from, from the beginning part of Hebrews. The whole part of Hebrews has been, hey, attention, we have this better way, this better thing than the old sacrificial system. This better thing is Jesus. Jesus was the better lamb. Jesus was the better high priest. Jesus is the better covenant. Jesus is better. And then all of a sudden we come to Hebrews chapter 10 and it says, verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And woe to you who falls into the hands of the living God. All of a sudden there takes this hard turn in chapter 10. And now we're going to see this case for, for God's vengeance. Let me give you a reason why I should have vengeance. Well, we see in uh, verses 5 through 10, 
kind of some some biblical base basics you know there was never an intention uh, maybe in your bible it has in my bible whenever it's quoting the old testament the verses in all caps and so verse 5 therefore when it comes into the world he says sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired it was never god's desire remember it was just a shadow it was never God's desire. It was that th- this was an impossible way that could never take away sins, and God said so in the Old Testament. So this wasn't a radical change or a big shift or big difference. It should not have been anyway, because God had said, uh, verse eight: sacrifice and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken any pleasure in them and so some some of our biblical basics is God's will was never through bulls and his will was always going to be through this body of one which we now know is Jesus and God's will was not to have this perpetual state of sacrificial system but to have a once for all substitutionary atonement where Jesus would come and die once for all God's plan was always for a single sacrifice. Verses 11 through 18 re, re, reminds us of that. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So there was all a priesthood. There was the tabernacle that was there and established that was impossible. It could never take away sins, even though there was not one priest, but multiple priests. They weren't sitting down. They were there working day after day, ministering all the times, and it really had no effect. Verse 12, But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, then Jesus sits down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. So we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. That that remember the, the symbolic mercy seat that sat in the Holy of Holies? And the, the whole picture of a mercy seat would be a king who had the right to judge and to rule and to even grant mercy that that one king would actually at the time of of forgiveness for sin be able to sit down and be done right unlike the other priests who were busy scrambling around making sacrifices for themselves making sacrifices for everybody else okay great sunday we we took care of business everybody leaves and guess what's happening tomorrow morning at the front door everybody's lined up again right because the rest of the afternoon, you all sinned. And guess who you have to wait for? Me to take care of my sin first. Right? This is the way it would have looked. And now we have this, this new once and for all where Jesus Christ, verse 10, by this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ one time, once for all. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit bears witness of this for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. Again, notice that this is a prediction. This is looking back in the Old Testament, quoting the Old Testament. 
This was not a surprise. It wasn't new. God had said, during the old covenant, I will make a new covenant. And after those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws upon their heart and upon their mind. I will write them. Then he says, verse 17, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering of sin. Because Jesus came, because he died once and for all, because he established a new covenant, there wouldn't be any reason for continual offerings for the forgiveness of sin because it had taken place. It was, it was majestic. So in this, God established a new relationship. Verse 19, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and with our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, prom he who promised is faithful. So God establishes through this death uh, on the cross of Jesus, not only the forgiveness of sin, but this, this new covenant, this new intimate relationship where we actually, we, we can draw near. There's no veil of separation anymore. There's no holy of holies where, where man cannot be in the presence of God. The entry fee now to the Holy of Holies to be in the presence of God is the blood of Jesus. So because of the blood of Jesus has been spilt, because it has been paid, because we have been atoned for, now you can with confidence, with great confidence, draw near to God. And what do you, what do you hold fast to? What do you cling to? The things that you did that you've earned trophies for? No, you cling to and hold fast to the confession of your hope. Because of what Jesus did without any wavering. There's no quiver because you have the anchor of your soul. Right? This is a whole new way. It's a whole new relationship with man and God that Jesus has established. It's beautiful. We're just... Hebrews 10 is kind of summarizing what we've been studying week after week, right? Verse 24. Some more encouraging exhortations. Now, with this being said, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So now we see, hey, look, we're called to, to come together and to stimulate one another. No longer is there this, this stale buildings, you know, tabernacles, temples, or this kind of, uh, there's official officers, you know, the, the priests. No, now, now we have fellowship with each other. 
we not only have intimacy directly with God, we have intimacy with, with one another. We have relationships. Second uh, Peter 1 through tw- uh, 1, 12 through 13 reminds us to, to stir each other up, to keep each other accountable. How, how do we keep each other accountable? Well, because we know each other, we see each other, and we love each other, right? So we're not like just driving in our cars down in the middle of Seattle, pointing fingers at the people who walk by in Pike Place Market, right? No, we, we, we're, we're here in our fellowship, encouraging and exhorting one another. Well, for what? What are, what are we encouraging one another to do? And before we move forward, doesn't this seem kind of like an odd place for the kind of the the reminder to attend church? Right? I mean, this is like the big verse, right? Let us cons- let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Do not forsake the assembly of the church. Maybe you guys have heard this sermon a million times, right? I mean, this is the place where it says you are not supposed to not go to church, right? But now, we read this passage earlier. We're in the middle of it now. Doesn't this seem oddly placed? It's like, wait a minute. I thought we were just humming along, talking about how it was impossible for bloods and goats and priests. And Jesus came along and died for our sins. And he's written everything on our hearts now. It almost feels like well, we don't need religiosity, buildings, or ministers, or others people right we we have our faith and our the confession of our faith and this relationship and then we're encouraged to not forsake the assembly well why take a look at second peter turn back with me to second peter um and the best way is just to read it because this kind of gives us even more context second peter um, verse 1, your chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. In order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and in your knowledge self-control and in your self-control perseverance and your perseverance godliness and your godliness brotherly kindness and your brotherly kindness love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our lord jesus christ for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, 
be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and his choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. Even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. The reason why this is placed here is because the way that we're supposed to be reminded to practice things like moral excellence and and self-control and godliness and brotherly kindness and love is with one another. And this is important. This is really important if you want to enter the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, then we need to remind each other, one another. One another of what? Well, verse 26. For if we go on willfully, sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Okay. Time out. If you come to a sentence like that, okay, you can't just mow through it. Right now, you every you know everything stops and go. Wait a minute. Everything that. I know is kind of being challenged right here now. If I keep on going wolf, sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What's the sacrifice for sins? Jesus Christ. Right? Notice the, the, the terminology is the same, kind of using, they, they would use this Old Testament terminology, the sacrifice for sins. But it's no longer the priest. It's no longer bulls and goats. Now what it's saying is, look, if you keep on willfully sinning, then there isn't going to remain Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. But he already did that. And he only does it once. And he, for, for all time. What is this saying? And so we need to get our arms wrapped around really this idea that there is vengeance that God displays and again we see this in three ways the Lord judges the Lord repays and and it's terrifying so now we want to I said we want to, we're trying to march forward to kind of get to the to the meat of this chapter and, and I wanted to do it this way so that we had the the context of of the previous verses and the previous verses are really just kind of a repeat of the previous nine chapters. So we should be well acquainted with them. So the Lord will judge you. Verse 27, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire, which will consume the adversaries. I, I, I want to say something, and, and, I, and I don't mean it for shock value. I, I, I mean it literally, and it's not the first time I've said it, but it, it comes at a place now where, look, the, the point of these verses is to literally scare the hell 
out of you. Okay? Um, God wants to do that. God wants to, instead of having this perpetual bulls and goats priest thing, okay, now there's this perpetual reminder that needs to come about that's like, look, you guys, don't forget that there is a, a God who judges sin. And you know what? You should respect that. You should be terrified. Look at the language here. This isn't my language. Okay, this is the word of God. If one, if we, we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But this is what should remain in your mind. A certain, not maybe, kind of, what if, certain, this is absolute, terrifying. When was the last time you were terrified about something? You were nervous that you would lose power because of the snow. You were nervous that the streets would be icy. Were you terrified? Um, you should be terrified of an expectation of judgment from God. And we don't think about that that much anymore. Instead, we're like, we're like kids. We're like teenage kids. Where we've been kind of brainwashed to think, well, Jesus died once and for all. Jesus dies for everybody's sin. Guess what? I guess I can just go do whatever I want. I can stay out late at night. I can, you know, tell mom and dad whatever I want to tell them. And they're just going to keep saying, cool, high five. Do it again. Well, it doesn't work that way in your house. Why do you think it works that way in God's house? So we see that the Lord will judge. Will judge. Judging is, again, that legal decision, right? You break the law. You come before the judge. You come before the court. To receive what? Your punishment. Your due punishment. There is a penalty for breaking the law. The Bible spends a lot of time over and over and over again. There's a consequence for disobedience. There's a consequence for disobedience. God will repay. God will judge. God will spank. Do we not have enough verses that show that? And if it's not true for you and me, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology, right? He owes the whole earth before Noah an apology. And God doesn't owe anybody an apology. Um, but the Lord will judge. Is this just a passage that comes out of nowhere? No. Matthew thirteen fifty describes this, this blazing furnace where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a place of judgment. Fear it. Be terrorized by it. Um, there's a reason why you don't drive 110 down the road. And it has more to do with the fear of getting a ticket than the fear of crashing. Although there might be a fear of crashing. But are you afraid of facing this blazing furnace, weeping and gnashing of teeth? Matthew 25, 41, there's an, a curse that is eternal. An eternal fire. For disobedience in sin. Matthew 23, 
33. How will you escape a sentence? How do you escape a sentence? Is there any one of us that can stand before the throne of God and say, hey, I'm innocent. Hey, I've earned my way into heaven. No. 1 Corinthians 1, 19-21 even talks about destroying the, the wise. Those people who think that, you know what, they're, they're smarter than God. They've got it figured out. Uh, no, he'll destroy them too. Mark 9, uh, verse 43-48 through 48 says it this way. Look, if your hand causes you to sin, or your eyeball causes you to sin, I, I, want, you to th- I want you to be so terrified of my judgment that you... And this is an illustration, right? that you should consider plucking your eyeball out and cutting your hand off. Now, we're so far from being being in the place of being terrified from God's judgment that we're nowhere even near considering the idea of, you know, I'm better off without my hand than facing God. I'm going to cut it off. I'm better off being blind. I mean, do you understand the, the, the leap there that's, that God is trying to illustrate? Why? Because God's judgment is so harsh that you don't want to be anywhere near that. Romans 11, 20 again talks about that that tree and, and branches being broken off, right? You know, to the to Israel. Don't, don't be cocky, Israel, just because I chose you. Don't think that I can't break you off. Why? Because of the disobedience. Remember back in Hebrews 6, in Hebrews chapter 6, um, and we, we faced this before, this idea of uh, verse 4. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of the Lord and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again, to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and have put him to open shame. For the ground that drinks the rain, which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for the sake of it, also tilled receives a blessing from God. But, but... If it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. So, we have to, again, keep in context, who are we talking about here? We're talking about those who who have partaken, those who have tasted. Remember, we covered it in, in, in Hebrews uh, that that you don't lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. It's impossible to lose something that God has given you. But there are those who are taste testers. And you and I, looking around, we don't know the difference. Now, God may know the difference, but you don't. Okay? And you should, when you are reflecting and 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 examining your own heart, you should identify, am I a taster or a partaker? And a taster then can and should be terrified of an expectation 
of judgment that comes from the fury of God's wrath. Why? Why? Because they insult the Savior Jesus Christ. They insult the Spirit of grace. Verse 29. And again... Only God can judge this. And what is he judging? Verse 22. He's judging the sincerity of one's heart. Okay? The sincerity of one's heart. Well, the Lord will repay. The Lord will repay. What's that that idea of of repayment? It's the idea of, of giving in return or biblical term, recompense. It's it's that payment. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, the payment of, of your sin, the, the, what's due to you because of your sin is death. The Lord will repay those who insult the spirit of grace with death. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If we're, if we're just tasters, back to the Hebrews 6, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set the law of Moses aside dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. I mean, that's obvious, right? If somebody is willfully rebelling against the law of Moses, the Old Testament law, then everybody knows, hey, look, if there's witnesses that can confirm this, this person is violating the, the law of Moses, then, then, then of course there isn't going to be mercy. Well, how much more will the Lord repay? Verse 29, how much severer punishment? Again, look at the language here. It's not just, this is severer punishment. Do you think he will deserve he who has trampled under the foot of the Son of God? This is God's Son. God loved us and sent us his Son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. This isn't just anybody. This isn't just an animal. This is the Son of God. The Son of God, part of the triune Godhead. This is God himself. Emmanuel, God with us. How much more severe punishment do you think you deserve he who has trampled under the foot of God, the Son of God, and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? You're you're taking the blood of Jesus and making it null and void. Again, not just the blood of an animal. This is Jesus' blood that you make no void. How? By insulting the spirit of grace. Another reminder. This is a grace thing. This is a free gift. This is a gift that you don't deserve, that you don't earn. It's given by faith, right? And you are insulting it. You, you insult it. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. When is vengeance mine? We've seen that verse in the Old Testament. When is vengeance mine? When does that actually apply? Vengeance is mine. I will repay. 
And again, the Lord will judge his people. Vengeance is mine when you trample on the spirit of grace. Vengeance is mine when you insult my son who I sent for you to die. Vengeance is mine when you make null and void his blood. Then, now the Lord will repay. The consequence of sin has has always been death. The, the, the Levitical law, the Deuteronomical law was very, very clear. Which is why you needed atonement. Which is why you needed a substitute for yourself. For God's vengeance. Romans 12 talks about there being vengeance. Romans 2.8 talks about God's fury. Do, do we just like pretend like these verses don't exist? Um, one of the sweetest, soft-spoken people, gentle that I know. Um, I, I don't think anybody would thinks of of Jim as furious, right? But I'm sure Jim's got some little little fire in him. And yet the Lord. We have several verses that remind us, hey, there's fury in there. There's righteous anger in there, right? Don't mess. Um, It's not that that's what he wants to give. Okay, it's not, and and, and Jim isn't the greatest example, um, but a good one for us because he is so sweet and nice and kind and loving, right? But he's no example compared to God, is what I mean. And, and his wrath and fury is no comparison either. Why? Because he is not the father of the son who died on the cross for our sins. And so again, what will the Lord repay with? With his wrath, Colossians 3.6. With eternal punishment, Matthew 25.46. Psalm 9, there is a realm of death for those who trample on God's grace. Galatians 5 talks of the, the list. Here are the deeds of the flesh. They will not enter into the kingdom of God. Do we have no fear at all? No terror at all for judgment for this? Even though we have verse upon verse upon verse that reminds us um. Daddy will take you to the woodshed. And, by the way, and we're going to see later on in Hebrews, it's because he loves you that he will do that. And if you aren't taken to the woodshed, then he doesn't love you. Um, why? Because at the end of the day, our Father in Heaven does not want to unveil his repayment to you. He doesn't. But, he will. Make no mistake. A great passage, um, Matthew 3. Matthew 3. Matthew 3. Here comes John the Baptist, right? Okay, we, we got to shift gears, right? We just, we're, we're past Jesus dying on the cross for, for our sins. We're at the point of the, the book of Hebrews where the early church is getting established and the, especially the Jews are trying to get their arms wrapped around the priesthood, the old covenant. Uh, okay, shift gears. We're now back to before Jesus. Okay? And, and now here's John the Baptist, 
And John the Baptist is walking around telling everybody, Jesus is coming, right? The Savior of the world is coming. He's going to, you know, heal people and forgive people of their sins. Okay, everything's great. In the beginning, nothing's changed. In the days uh, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying what? Repent! You need to stop sinning. You need to turn away from your sin right now and stop and repent. Don't ever forget that. Jesus and John, same page, repent. Why? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. See, they they weren't repentant. They weren't sincere in their heart. And John the Baptist knew that. He said, now look, if you want to come forth in bringing the fruit of repentance, that's another thing. Verse 9. And do you suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father? For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Again, you have these people who had grown up in, in, in temple, had grown up in the faith. They knew all the answers. Maybe that's some of us now. And are clinging to now this religiosity. For them it was Abraham, it was being Jewish. And what does John the Baptist say? Verse 10. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So here's John the Baptist and one of his big coming out parties, right? And he's reminding people, look, repent, stop sinning. And by the way, if you think you're okay and you're not sincere in your heart, well, guess what? The axe, it's right here and it's sharp and it's ready to go. To do what? To cut you down. No, that's not what that means. Verse 11, as for me, I will baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. We all love this part. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Right? Everybody's heard that. John the Baptist comes and says, look, Jesus is coming. He's going to baptize everybody with the Holy Spirit and fire. What is he going to do? He's going to save people. But we forgot the next verse. And his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Whoa! You mean, you mean the story is consistent? That, that the call is to repent from sin. If you do that in keeping with repentance, you're going to be forgiven all as well. But if you don't, then there should be an expectation of terrifying fear. It's not changed. We just chose to forget about the axe that was sitting there waiting. We just chose to forget that, you know, this winnowing fork 
that you know just generically it's it's just a process it's not anger it's not wrath it's not it's just a process of separating wheat from chaff separating the good wheat that we can make food with with the chaff that's useless and what do we do at the end with the chaff we burn it up because it's worthless and it's no good that's the nice way of saying it but the reality is that winnowing fork is an instrument and a tool of judgment of wrath, of fury. It paints a picture in a very, very sweet way about what's actually being said here in Hebrews 10 about vengeance being mine and I will judge and you should be terrified of falling into the hands of the living God. Are you? Well, it's it's not the hippie Jesus that we hear about every day anymore, is it? The Lord will bring terror upon you if you continue to insult the Savior, Jesus Christ. You will receive this type of vengeance. What, is, what does this mean? The Lord will terrify you? That there will be dread. There, there will be terror and fear and panic in you listen to me the gift the gift the blessing of the new covenant of Jesus dying was that that Jesus would come into your life and you would now have this consciousness because of a relationship with the Holy Spirit that resides in your body which is now the temple of the Holy Spirit the place where the Holy Spirit sits and dwells this brings you comfort This brings you joy. This brings you hope and confidence and peace. Unless you insult Jesus. Then dread will come upon your heart. Fear will come upon your heart. Panic and consternation of your sin. Amos 5 talks about days coming where the terrifying days of the Lord. Why terrifying? Because of judgment. We've seen pictures of this. I mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah about Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira, nice Christian couple, want to donate money to the church, right? They go and sell a piece of property. I've never heard of anybody who's sold property and just given it to the church. I know people have been generous to the church, but Giving property is a whole nother deal. That's a lot of money. It's never been nothing. It's always been major. They sell property, give it to the church, but they lie. They lie to the Holy Spirit. What does God do? Hey, see you next week. They die. He judges them. I've told worse lies than that. So have many of you. The Lord were terrified. Matthew 25, 31 reminds us about wheat and chaff. It reminds us about the separation of sheep and goats. Luke 13 reminds us that, look, the gate is narrow. I don't want the gate to be narrow. I want that gate to be wide. I'm I'm kicking it in as best I can to creak it open to make it wider and wider and wider, right? Why? Because there's no reason for it not to be wide. It's a free gift that's open to all. 
There's no reason why we can't all march right through that. But the gate is narrow. Why? Because of Hebrews 6. There's, there's more tasters. We know Matthew 7.23 that so many are going to say, but I came to Lord, Lord. He's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. 2 Peter 2.4 reminds us, listen, he didn't spare his angels who rebelled against him. Um, Matthew 10.28 reminds us, fear him who is able to destroy not only your body, but your soul in hell. Look, when we are walking through God's word, the, the most difficult thing for us is to have our beliefs set and fixed in stone so much to the point that when we read God's, God's word, we're, we're tuning him out. We're not listening. I already know what I believe. See, the, the, the call of the scriptures is to teach us, to exhort us, to remind us not of what we believe, but what God is trying to teach us and tell us. Yes, I want to be reminded myself that you know what? If I have unrepentant sin, if I keep on willfully sinning, then I should no longer have an expectation of forgiveness. If I'm trampling on the spirit of grace, if I'm insulting the blood of Jesus Christ, then you know what? I should actually start fearing the hand of the living God. And so the question then is, where is your heart? Because right here in the middle of Hebrews, the point, the point is to, to help us to make that turn back, right? Don't, for, don't forsake the assembly. Why? Because when you don't come to church, when you don't have Christian fellowship, then you're not reminded of this. Because you're not going to get reminded of this anywhere else, right? The world's not going to remind you of that. In fact, the world's going to tell you, oh, come on, stuffy church, always telling you, you can't do this, can't. Yeah, God is telling you and reminding you, you better be careful. You better be careful. Of all the passages we've been reading, of, even in Hebrews 10, most of it is pointing us right back to this love that God has that Jesus Christ has died, has sanctified us. Hebrews 10, 10, right? We're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, which is good once, once and for all. And that all we have to do is, is with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, verse 22, come to the Lord with the confession of hope, not wavering, and we're going to be fine. And you should be fine. And you should be sure. And you should be confident. And I want you confident. But I also want you to be sober of mind. And so you can stay away from God's wrath by not insulting His grace. Instead, by honoring it. Let's pray.